0: Thanks again for joining us today. Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org. Well, I can't tell you. Enough that I believe that every woman in our house needs to be in that meeting. I believe that every man in our house, you need to come and help me, especially on the 20th, as we lead prayer for our county. Uh, We are, people are coming here so that they can pray, and I need every man in the house to come join me on that morning. You say, well, I'm I'm pastor, my wife is at the conference, and I got the children, bring the children. Um, You will be amazed if you come on the weekdays and see children in prayer. And don't tell me that they can't tarry for an hour. They can. They absolutely can. They absolutely can lead prayer for an hour. It's probably you've never seen it, never experienced it to that level. But children... The Bible says a little child is going to lead them. So I'm saying to the ladies, be a part of the conference. Whatever the paradigm, whatever the wall that you feel is there that keeps you from going, don't let that continue to be a wall. Step out. And this morning in my prayer, I was saying, you know, what is mic-dropping faith? And and it's just a purpose. What do you use a mic for? To amplify something. And there's something, ladies, that you need to start amplifying. Because when you amplify it, when you speak it, you're going to move some mountains. It's not faith in your faith, it's a faith in God. It's a faith in God. And a faith in God, I, I remember years ago, there was a man of God who I was having lunch with, and he said... You know, he says, in the, in the body of Christ, I think everybody thinks that they're supposed to live by a budget, but you're supposed to live by faith. And there are some things where God's going to ask you to go an extra mile to do. There are things where you're going to probably think, like what I just read from Luke 7, that, oh, that was too costly to do. That woman who poured out those ointments said, cost doesn't matter because this is about Jesus. Amen. This is about him. And let it be that way in your heart where you're just open to whatever God says is to do, you do it. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Are you ready for the Word this morning? Amen. Amen. So am I. Excited about what God is being, instructing me in the Word concerning these last days that we're in. And in these last days, one of the key things for me is to remind myself of what we were talking about on last week. You remember last week we looked at the story of Esther in the Bible and I referred to Esther as having, you know, kind of gotten distracted. She was in a beauty contest. She was in a palace and she was very comfortable just being bathed in all of the fine oils and fragrance. And yet her uncle Mordecai was observing the time. He saw the gallows being built. He heard the threats and, and accusations being made by Haman, and he became very alert and very proactive in what he was doing. And he started to fast. He started to pray. He began to take off uh, you know, the, the fine garments, and he was in, in sackcloth and ashes. And, and they told Esther about it, and you know what Esther did. Esther said, send him out some clothing, and he refused them. And there are things in this world that some of us are still attached to and you really need to be turning aside from that and turning and getting closer to God. But he got Esther's attention, and I'm thankful for that. And I believe that God is getting your attention, and I'm thankful for that. And when he got Esther's attention, you remember the first thing that Esther did? Esther said, I need to fast and pray. And then she solicited for others to come and fast and pray with her. And then after she fasted and prayed, or had made up her mind that she was going to fast and pray, she said... I am going to have to make a sacrifice. I am not just going to sit here and do nothing. Even declaring out out of her mouth, knowing the consequence of trying to see the king without being, as it were, summoned, she said, if I'm, the law says that if I go see the king and have not been summoned, my head can be cut off. And I remember, and you remember how, her uncle Mordecai said to her, don't think for a moment that if you don't do something, that they're going to spare you. This is why we had referenced you back to the lepers who said, if we sit here by the gate while the the city is under siege, we're going to die. And so Mordecai said to her, do you not realize that you will not escape what's coming if you don't make a move? Look at your neighbor and say, we got to make a move. I'm not talking about a building here. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about you being the temple of God. And God is expecting something from you. God is requiring us in these last days to be more proactive in our prayer life. God is requiring us in these last days to be more proactive in our witnessing. God is requiring of us in these last days that we wait upon the Lord. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't just jump in and try to do anything and everything that the world is doing right now. Make sure you're hearing God. Make sure you're following God. Make sure that you're not leaning to your own understanding on matters, but everything that you do, you acknowledge God so that he's directing your path. And obviously, you know the end of what happened in that story about Esther. She did go see the king. She did find favor. She did ensure that her people were not annihilated. And what the devil meant for evil, as he used Haman, God used what Haman had built to actually punish him rather than the people of God suffering under his evil plot and his evil plan. This morning, I would like to pick up and continue your thoughts around end times, and are you getting ready for what God has ready for you? I'd like for you to go to 2 Timothy with us again. This is pretty much my foundational scripture, and I feel like I need to expound on it a little bit more, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to kind of plow down, hopefully, through 17 verses of this, and to be able to draw perhaps four points out of it. so when you find 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to go to verse number 17 in it. Amen. Brother Felix, will you look back in that room and grab a pair of spectacles for me? I think I just put them down there. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I appreciate it, sir. Some days everything looks just so great and some days they look a little fuzzy. Amen. Praise God. It's clear now. (laughs) Does anybody know what time it is? And I am not talking about the clock on the wall. You see, this is a, if you have been following me, we've been talking about the end times. And you should pick up immediately. I'm not talking about the time on the clock. I'm talking about do you understand the times and do you know what you ought to be doing now? You hear me repetitively sometimes mention the the, the sons of Ishakar, the tribe of Ishakar, and how the Bible says about the tribe of Ishakar, the sons of Ishakar, that they understood the times and they knew what they ought to do. All I'm trying to do in these messages and on these Wednesdays nights uh, or Wednesday midday Bible studies about the book of Revelation is to get you to that place where you are like the sons of Ishakar. You understand the times that we're living in, and then you know what you ought to do. I'm going to give you an assignment before I give you the message. Your assignment is going to be to read Psalm 83. I will preach on Psalm 83 next week. I know I've got Miss Pat's schedule, but I'm going to um, allow her to work on what she needs to be working on for the conference. And, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we are going to pick apart Psalm 83, but Psalm 83 is about the end times. This is why every one of us, every day, ought to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Because we are living in that day. We are living in that time. We are living in that hour. And God is wanting us to be ready And so, when we talk about, do you know what time it is, we're not talking about the hour of the day. We're talking about the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. We're talking about it because we don't want to see anybody get left behind. And there will be people left behind, but these are people who will not respond to the will and the word of God. They're going to be about their uh, normal, as they would call, normal activities. But I don't know about you, but I am ready to see Jesus face to face. So let's dig into the word now. Let's go into 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse number 1. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. You ought to underline. Go back to verse number one. We're going to move methodically through this. So, uh, verse in your Bibles, if you have that type of translation, and the word perilous or difficult times or whatever that adjective is, you should circle that. The word perilous means hard to bear. In other words, we're going to be living in times where it's hard to bear. It's hard to deal with. Some of you may have say to me today, Pastor, I had a perilous week last week. And I believe you. Because I believe that we're in the last days and I believe that you're living in some perilous times. I would say to you very clearly, life is not easy. Life is not easy. But remember how I'm trying to give a definition of life. Life is tests, trials, but the third thing is temporary. Life is test, life is trial, but it's temporary, amen? Because we are going to see the king, amen? amen? Your living is not in vain. Your serving God is not in vain. Your praying is not in vain. Your being here this morning is not in vain. We just need some people that are going to stand for God and and stand on the truth of his word in these last days. We need some people who are going to put on the whole armor of God. And God says, when you put on the whole armor and realize that the devil is firing fiery darts at you, you are still going to be doing what in the end? Standing. Because the Bible says, having done all to stand, you will be doing what? Standing. You'll be standing. You won't be knocked down anymore. You won't be overcome. As a matter of fact, you'll realize I'm more than a conqueror. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. I can go through the valleys and the shadows of death and don't fear anything because God is with me. And I know this about God. He is not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. Lo, he's going to be with me until the end of the ages. You know, if we could skip down, if you could, to verse number 12. I'm going to come back to verse number two. But verse number 12, look at what verse number 12 says about us. And I, I, it's one of the least claimed promises of all times. In in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Look what it says. It says, yes. Everybody say it with me. Read it out aloud with me, if you would. Yes. All and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus you don't like to reclaim that scripture. Most people don't. I remember there was a time when people didn't want to acknowledge that this was a New Testament scripture. And it's like, you know, if you're suffering. No, he didn't say that you're going to be continuously in suffering. But he says you'll suffer. And and here's the, the win in this. God brings you through it. God brings you out of it. God gives you the victory over it. But yes, do you understand that that affirmative? Yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, I remember when for a week going up to Annapolis almost on a daily basis, trying to help overthrow some legislation that we just felt was just going to be detrimental to preaching the gospel. But the legislation still passed. It's wrong, it's wrong legislation. It's kind of what we're talking about when Esther said, if anybody goes to see the king, the law says you'll be killed. There's a law, and I know you know this, that if I stand in this pulpit and start to speak and say, homosexuality is a sin, though the world is accepting it, Left and right. Living like a lesbian or living a lesbian life is a sin. I don't care how many alphabets you want to put to it. L, B, G, whatever is in that acronym now. It's still sin. And, and, and I hear Miss Pat, she can echo and I think she wants me to echo it from the pulpit too. But we are going to echo it. Let the church is becoming slack and accepting. Folks, I am not talking about being hateful to people, but I'm saying if we become weak in preaching, weak in telling people that it's a sin, weak in telling people that the wages of your sin will lead to what? Death. Look, what have you heard about monkeypox? You just know it's a virus, right? How is it most often spread? I don't want to be too gross for the kids that are in the the city, but as adults, if you've been paying any attention, listening to anything, you will invariably hear that most often, not the only way, but most often, it is transferring with men having relationship with men. And the Bible calls that very defile. If we go back to the book of, uh, 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 in the Old Testament, with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember how God dealt with the man of God, and he says, there's no righteousness in this. The city has no one righteous in it. And I always laugh because I said, there were some people came out of the city. But they still didn't last very long either. I mean, you know, I, I, we, I, when I get to heaven, I really want to see the answer to this. Why did Abraham keep carrying Lot? I mean, he carried him all the time. In Genesis, it tells Abram, you go, leave your family, leave all of this, and go where I'm telling you to go. But he took Lot. And I like to borrow an expression that I heard an old minister say, and he got into a lot of trouble. Abraham was always in a lot of trouble and it always around Lot. When we get to Sodom and Gomorrah, it's around Lot. And God has to deal with his man, Abraham, and say, there is no righteousness here. In the last days, folks, you're going to need righteous preachers. Though the Bible says in the last days, people are going to heap up preachers to themselves that will only itch their ear. That will not tell them what they need to hear but tell them what they want to hear. And how many of you know what you want to do and what you need to do is not always the same thing. And in the last days, he says, those that will stand up and be righteous, you're going to be persecuted. You will be persecuted for wanting to tell your child what's right. You'll be persecuted for talking to your coworkers about what's right. You'll be persecuted. Perilous times are upon us, church, and it's like it's never been before. And this hate crime bill is what it was called in Annapolis and around the United States, a hate crime bill. And it says if you stand in the pulpit and preach anything about homosexuality, we believe that you are stirring up hate. I'm not trying to stir you up to hate anyone. I'm trying to stir you up to stand for what Jesus says is righteous, and to take a stand, to take a stand, love people, but hate what God hates. Be able to communicate with people on a level that helps them to see Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, amen? Because you are accountable to God. I'm accountable to God. We are accountable to God to speak the truth. That's the only way that people can get free, is speaking the truth. God's power and God's ability is available to you, and you can rely on that to help tell the truth. Amen? It is never, ever going to be right for you to kind of glaze over portions of the Bible to try to get the, your favorite scripture, to try to get scriptures that said, oh, I can deal with this one, but I don't want to deal with this one. Anybody remember back in the day when Oprah Winfrey said, I'm having a problem with God because the Bible says that God is a jealous God? And she said, I, and I don't want to deal with that. But well, you have to deal with that. God says you are his. You were created in his likeness. You were created in his image. And he says, I don't want you to go whoring after other gods. I don't want you to think that there is some alternative way. No one can get to the Father but through The Son. We've got to keep lifting up Jesus Christ and the holy word of God. This this is why when you hear us say things like, Lift him up, lift Jesus higher. What will happen when you lift Jesus? The Bible says that is what's going to draw people. Folks, it's not going to be all of our production and the things that we think that we need to put together for people in order to know Jesus. You have to give them just the word. When did the Word become irrelevant? The Word is never going to become irrelevant. All other things are going to pass away, but God's Word says it's established. It's there. When all of the fog and the lights and all of the things that we think we have to do in order to get people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, that stuff is going to fall away. What's going to last is the word. You remember what he said, and he used this illustration about a house. He said, do you not realize that the, the, that the wind is, is going to come, that the rain is going to beat against the house, the wind is going to blow against the house, but the house that was built upon the rock is the house that's going to do, do what? Stand. The house that was built on anything that was what we call sinking sand. I lived in Florida. Pat and I lived in Florida for a number of years, and it was very common to have sinkholes. Yeah. Do you know why they were sinkholes? Why, I mean, literally, I, there was one time where this car dealership, the whole, all of his cars went into the sinkhole. It was a Porsche dealership, too. And, uh, and the guy, you know, I guess he was trying to make jest of the fact, and he said, because um, you could see two of them that hadn't disappeared, two vehicles. And he said, anybody who can get them out, you can have them. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what would happen if you had to put a crane there trying to pull that car out? Away you would go too. And folks, there are things that are sinking right now. There are, there, are, there are things and in, in things that man built that are sinking. This system that man thought that he could build without using God, it's crumbling. I mean, you keep hearing a word called recession. I mean, you keep hearing and, and not understanding why is everything going up in cost? Because it's a system of man. You and I live on God's system. God's system is tithes and offerings. God says when we give, it's going to be given back to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men be able to give unto your bosom. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. We live on God's system, not on the world system. You live on God's system. You're in the world, but the Bible says you can never allow yourself to just become of this world. You're in it but you don't become of it. We teach our children, you're in this, but you're not of this. You've got to just keep lifting up Jesus. You've got to keep trusting Jesus. You've got to keep leaning not to your own understanding, but acknowledging God in all of your ways, and he'll direct your path. 2 Timothy chapter 4 now, and verse number 1 is what I'd like you to look at. We're going to go back to to the third chapter because that's the, the foundation of what we're preaching from. In 2 Timothy 4.1, it says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Do you know that Paul? all Paul was trying to do is charge young Timothy to preach the word? Have you not heard how he said to, to, to uh, Timothy, he said, be instant, what? In season and out of season preach the word. Even when you're going through persecution, even when you're going through um, people criticizing you for being a Christian, be a Christian. Be Christ-like. Speak up the things of Christ. Speak about the word of God. Don't let anyone, so folks, some of you are going to have it coming from your own household. Some of you are going to be coming from your own relatives saying, what's all this Jesus stuff? You don't need all of this. Let me tell you, you need all of that and everything that heaven is pouring out to you. You need every bit of it. Amen? And I know that you can look and you say, well, Pastor, these are depressing and discouraging and disturbing days. But Jesus says to you, I'm with you, though. And I'm with you always. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of what? Good cheer. I have overcome. And how many of you know that if you're in Christ, you have overcome. You are more than conquerors. You are able to do all things through Christ who is strengthening you. And the Bible says you and I to, be, to remain strong in the Lord. And where? In the power of his might. And so God is expecting you to keep your eyes and keep your mind stayed on him. Folks, there were people who had their trials and their tribulation. You remember Moses? Moses had to deal with Pharaoh. That was a stubborn somebody, wasn't he? Plague after plague, and yet he still became more and more stubborn, even to the point when he said, well, finally go. And then a little heart got real hard, and he said, well, I'm going to go and kill them all. But what did God do for his people? What did God do for his people? God opened up the sea. God let every one of his people cross over on dry land. And what did God do when the armies tried to pursue and tried to come through that same passageway? Close it back up again. Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea. But that's God. Daniel had a lion's den. You remember? Because we don't want you praying to your God. How many of you know that it's already like that in the federal government? We don't want you praying. When I was in the military in those days, and people would ask me because they knew my relationship with Christ, they said, we want you to do do the opening prayer or the closing prayer at my retirement or my promotion ceremony. And I said, wait a minute, stop. I want you to know what you're asking me to do. Because when I pray... I always end all my prayers in the name of Jesus. And if you're not comfortable with me declaring the name of Jesus, I'm not your man. Somebody say, be bold. Be Be courageous. In the last days, you're going to have to be bold and courageous. You're going to have to take a stand and tell people what you stand for. Most people only know what people stand against. They don't know what they stand for. And the people ought to know what you stand for. And if you stand for Jesus, let it be known that you are one of his and that you don't mind calling his name and decreeing his name. The Apostle Paul, he had to deal with a lot of legalists because they, they were always challenging him. Jesus himself dealt with the Sanhedrins, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and even to the point where they crucified him on the cross. But do you know what he said? Father, it is finished. Paul is in this book of Timothy with him, and literally he gets to a point where he says, Timothy, I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have run the race that God has called me to run. And that's all pastors trying to do with you in these last days that we're living in. I want you to continue to run the race because I know that the world is pulling on a lot of you to go a different way. I know that COVID frightened many of you. And you don't know which way to go. But these are the times where God was trying to teach us. It's like, when you don't know where to go, you turn to Jesus. You do what Esther did. You pray, you fast. And you say, God, what direction should I go? I guarantee you God will give you an answer. But I know that this answer will not be sit and do nothing. I know that every now and then when things get a little rough, because I've been there, you feel like quitting. You feel like giving up. How many of you know that God doesn't ever want you to quit? God doesn't ever want you to give up. There are times where you might say, I can't understand God. What's God doing? Why doesn't he remove this stone? You know, Paul got there and he said, I have come to you, God, three times. There is a thorn in my flesh, a messenger sent from Satan, and there's a thorn in my flesh, and we believe that this is a sickness that Paul had. And he says, "I've, I've come to you three times asking you to remove it." Do you realize that God gave him an answer? And God said to him, "My, my grace. Come on, look, 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 look at somebody that says." God's grace. Say it again. God's grace. Sometimes when you don't know and and don't feel like God is there, this song that you were singing, Waymaker, he's still a waymaker. When you don't see it, God's working. When you don't feel it, God's working. Right now, while you're sitting here, God's working. That's why he wants you to stay in faith. And these... uh, In time, in these perilous times that we're in, he's saying, I got to have some people that will stay in faith. Who are walking out. I think about this sometimes. You're asking God, can you remove these stones and, and make the path a little bit straighter for me? Anybody ever went to one of those rock climbing venues, the walls. Do you realize what you have to grab a hold of to get to the top? You got to grab the bumps. Anybody ever hiked? I remember being out in Colorado Springs. I told my brother-in-law, don't ever take me on a hike again. (laughs) I love the mountains. But you got to, literally, you got to step on the the humps. You got to climb onto things that Sometimes we're asking God, can you remove this little hump? Can you help me to get over the hump? And God is saying, grab a hold of it. It's just going to, you're going to find that you're going to pull yourself up. You're going to pull yourself over. You're going to get to the top. Shout, so I'm going to get to the top. I'm gonna get to the top. We're not asking God to remove any humps. We're just saying, we're going to walk over them. Because you know what? The devil is under our feet. Amen under our seat. The devil cannot defeat you, church. Let me tell you what Timothy is trying to say to us in the time that I have left not to belabor you. Number one, number one, he is telling us that the times that we're living in, the times that we're facing the perilous times that we're facing he's simply saying this and all these will start with the letter d number one you're living in difficult times i could go on with a number of example, examples to s- prove that point but i don't believe i need to prove that point i believe you already know it through the life that you're living that these are difficult times but that's okay. God knows how to bring people through difficult times. Here's the second point about 2 Timothy chapter 3 and these 17 verses. The second thing that God wants you to know that even in the difficult times, even in the, uh, the hardships that we feel like we're going through, God says one of the things that you've got to be keenly aware of in the last days is number two, there are deceptive times. The devil is looking to deceive you. How many of you know that if you settle for the counterfeit, you'll never contend for the faith? And God is saying that the devil is going to flash a lot of stuff at you. There are going to be a lot of things coming in these last days, and some of it is just plain deception. I mean, you know, the Bible says the devil can Appear in sheep's clothing, but beneath he's just a ravening wolf. In the last days, folks, there are going to be people who are going to be saying, Lord, Lord. There are people that are, how many of you know that everybody that shows up at your doorstep with a Bible ain't necessarily trying to get you to Jesus? You, 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 you need discernment in these last days because these are deceptive days. If you look at verses 2 through 9, and Alfred, if you back us up and we'll take it, he says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse 3 says, they'll be unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, Verse 4 says, there'll be traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, the child of God, the children of God, must turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women and gullible men loaded down with sin, led away by various lust, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further. You ought to read that one with me. Let's start at the beginning. Verse 9. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Now, I don't know if you remember who Janice and Jambres was, but if you'd have to go back to the book of Exodus to find these two men, these were the ones that would give you this fake imitation. How many ever had what somebody called fake crab? Yeah, every, you know, sometimes you go to the Saturday, imitation crab meat, man. Imitation crab meat ain't even close to crab meat. I don't even know what it is. I don't, I don't even know what kind of fish they call themselves drawing that from, but it's not even close. And so, Janice and Jamborees in the Book of Exodus, around the 17th chapter, you find these are the guys who, when Moses turned uh, his rod, he threw his rod down, it became a snake. They they imitated it. They imitated certain things that Moses was doing. In other words, presenting themselves that they have the same authority, they have the same power. I always laugh because uh, when I'm watching this pattern, I get over to the point where Moses, you remember when that, the, the plague of the lice came upon? They couldn't imitate that one. Matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever seen a child with lice in the hair, man. That's, that's just horrible. And there's are certain things that the devil will not be able to imitate, and the Bible says you're going to be able to discern. How many of you can tell between a diamond and a zirconia? A cubit? Anybody can tell the difference? How many of you can tell the difference between gold and that fake stuff? I always use this example with my dad. He would always say, son, when you buy furniture, look at the furniture very closely. He says, don't buy anything that's shiny. He said, look out in the forest. Have you ever seen a shiny tree? He <laughs> said, so, so if it's shiny, son, it ain't real wood. Real wood don't have that kind of high gloss on it, folks. You probably got something that if you put some weight and some pressure on it, you're going to find that it was just compressed sawdust. Everybody say the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. There will be people coming with messages. There will be people proclaiming to be what they aren't. But when you read through these verses with me, you could see this almost looks like you were listening to CNN. You were listening to Fox News or something, there, and it's happening today. But God is saying to you, make sure you know That much of this is deceptive. And the devil is trying to get you to not give God your undivided attention. And I'm not going to try to give you a description of everything that we just read in those verses. But I will say to you, these times are marked by this. And I'm going to go a little faster because when I was writing this, I wrote it and I rewrote it. But I feel like people are going to choose in these last days, many are going to choose materialism, over ministry. People are going to choose greed over godliness. They're going to choose covetousness over being content. They're going to choose convenience over commitment. Sensationalism over spiritualism. Deception over discernment. But don't be deceived, church. God is not mocked. Be discerning. Know that God has given you a spirit of discernment so that you will know the difference between the good and the evil. Amen? Folly and foolishness is what the Bible is saying is going to start to fill the hearts and the minds of so many people. Folly, foolishness. Just itch my ear, pastor. Don't, don't ever ask me to contend. Don't ever ask me to really serve. Don't ever ask me to really pray. Don't ever ask me to stand up and amplify a message and drop the mic, ladies. But God is asking for that. God is asking for that. And he's asking for his people to keep their eyes on Jesus. Jesus. See if you can find Mark 13 real quick, every one of you, if you got your Bible, go to Mark 13. We're talking about what will the atmosphere and the environment and uh, and the surrounding areas that we're in, what will they start to look at, look like rather, and what do we need to be able to discern so that we are not deceived? We don't want to be deceived. So Mark chapter 13 And I want us to go to verse 21 and 22, and they have those scriptures for me there. It says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Folks, this is why we say you can't run behind everything that's out there right now. As a pastor, I've tried to warn people you know, you can't just be running from house to house. You really can't. I'm looking at you parents who have children. Is it okay for your children to just run from house to house and eat everything at anybody else's house? It's not. Uh, Matter of fact, I wouldn't even consider you a good parent if that's how you allow it. Your children just run out the door and they just run from house to house. Now, if you're like my parents, if you're going to go to a house, they know you're going to that house. They generally have an idea about something or some nature, characteristic of the person that you're going to be eating from their table. Anybody ever went somewhere and ate something from uh, uh, an establishment and you came back and you knew you were sick? You know you had gotten a hold of some what? Bad food? And sometimes there are people who are just running from place to place and sometimes you've gotten stuff that's not even biblical and you're bringing it back and other people are being contaminated with the same false teaching inaccurate teaching not really the truth and see the spirit of discernment tells us we are to be able to try that spirit by the spirit one thing about the last days says that people really are going to shift and, and change and basically said I can do my own thing I don't really need your input in my life pastor and, and, and COVID helped to spur this along because all of a sudden nobody's in church anymore or the vast majority. And, and you know what? I'm just gonna stream all over the place. You know, when you click on something, even a word, you can get multitude of choices. But this is why in the book of Corinthians, it said this concerning, and this was a last day um, uh, 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 insight as well. It says, you're gonna have thousands of teachers but there's not going to be many fathers. And he's trying to emphasize that you, if you don't understand the value of fathering in your life, in the last days, you will probably want to be one of these people that are going to be gullible and easily deceived. You know, I was helping uh, um, one of my great nephews this week, and he had gone somewhere, and, uh, and he had, you know, a mechanical issue with his car, and well, wow where he had gone was just going to truly take advantage of it. And I said, oh, no, we're not doing that. You're not doing that. That's not even wise. And he says, well, why not, Unc? They well, like to call me Unc. I don't know why they don't finish the rest of the word out. I'm just Unk. And said, Why not, Unc? And I was able to show him. And then I literally just took him with me. I said, you follow me. And I got in my car, I got in his car. And I took him, as you would say, to my mechanic. Folks, one-third of what he had. Because that person saw him coming. They realized, he don't have a clue. I can throw anything at him, and he's going to be gullible. But see, this is why you need people in your life to be able to, 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 to allow yourself to get counsel. And the Bible says, in the last days, you're going to need this. Because there is safety in the multitude of what? And we're talking Christian council, folks. I'm not talking about going to your favorite gossip buddy. You got to stay. That's a, those are the people that God says you need to stay away from in your last days. People who just run from house to house. Do you know they say that the average Christian changes churches every three and a half years now? They just run from one house to the other. But we don't like what's coming out of pastor's mouth, so we're going to go there. Do you know when you get there, you're going to be the problem at that uh, next place you get? because you don't want to really submit to anyone. It's your way or the highway. Because it can't be that way. How many of you have ever thought about running away from your parents' house when you were a kid? I did. I just didn't pack enough peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. The first one that I packed, I ate it on the way out, calling myself running away from home, and I realized I'm gonna be hungry real soon. And there are a lot of times, folks, you can go somewhere, and yes, it might seem like the person's got a great word, but sit for a while. This is why I tell you, don't buy everybody's books. Perhaps God did speak to them concerning the first book, and it was anointed. But uh, you know what? Time Warner spoke to them after that and said, we need you to do one of these every quarter now. We'll give you this money up front but you got to produce something now every quarter do you know you can't put God on a quarterly schedule you can't put God on your time schedule and so the first book may have been anointed but the second and the third and the production schedule that they're now on is not necessarily God and you need to be able to discern that how many of you went to a good restaurant one time and all of a sudden the restaurant decided they were going to expand and you realize the restaurant was good because of the chef that was there and now you're trying another chef and it just ain't the same you go have you ever just been to a restaurant and said something's missing anybody ever make a cake and forget to put some of the ingredients in it besides me And every now and then, folks, you're, you're not going to find all the ingredients that you need in order to be the person that God needs you to be. So, folks, I've said to you that 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3 says that these are, number one, difficult times. Number two, it says these are deceptive times. The third point in this is that these are deciding times. And some of us need to decide who are we going to really follow. I was listening to and a comedian he said, why y'all keep saying Dr. Fauci, y'all doctor? You don't know him. He don't know you. We, sometimes we just jump behind anybody. We just, these are deciding times of who you're going to follow. You remember how Joshua says, as for me and my house, we just simply have made up our mind, we are going to serve the Lord. Anybody in here like that, you're fully persuaded that all you're going to do is follow the Lord? The word is going to be the lamp unto your feet. The word is going to be the light unto your path. The word is going to be the medicine to your flesh. The word, the word. You're just going to draw near to God, know that God is going to draw near to you. You're going to resist the devil, and the devil is going to flee. Because you have decided. You have decided. Folks, I don't know about you. When I decided that I was following Jesus, there was no turning back. There was no turning back. You know how that expression says, come hell or high water? Ain't no turning back. Do you realize that Jesus, when, 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 not Jesus, when Moses took the people to the Red Sea, there were people who wanted to turn back. But he said, no, we are going forward. I had a a professor in college of political science, uh, and and he was from Nigeria, Brother Felix, and, and he would say this all the time. He would say, forward ever, backwards never. Forward ever, backwards never. I didn't understand what he was saying. I said, what is he saying? But do you realize he was just simply saying, there shouldn't be any turning back. The Bible says it like this. When you put your hand to this gospel plow, and you decide you're going to turn back, turn back, he says, you can't come into the kingdom like that. God is not going to let you be a waffler. God is not going to let you be a straddler. God is saying to you, I don't like lukewarm. I don't know about you. Have your coffee ever got lukewarm when you got a hot cup of coffee or a hot tea and it got lukewarm? What do you feel like doing when it's lukewarm? Spewing it out spewing it out. And the most gross scripture I feel in the Bible is this. When you start with God and turn back, you are like a dog going back and licking up its own vomit. Now, I've, I've seen that, and that is that just grossed me out. I had no appetite for the rest of the day. And God said, I don't have an appetite for people who turn back. Folks, that's scripture. You can look it up. You can Google it yourself. It's like a dog returning to his own vomit when you decide that somehow all that I've been taught over the years, over the months, over the weeks, the days, that I'm not going to follow that anymore. I can remember a family where, I don't know, I I, I went several times trying to meet with this child who had gotten to the point where he was bold enough to start saying, I don't believe that there is a God. That's just, I get sick to my stomach when I hear a child who has been in the Word and around the Word get bold enough to say that. And I even try to say, well, why, how did this get in you? What has your thought pattern so confused that you believe that there is no God. But I can tell you this. I've encountered that twice with children and each time the Bible has fulfilled itself when it says, and I will turn you over to a reprobate mind. And I've seen these children walking the street, can't even put thoughts together anymore. Because why? You grabbed a hold of something that was holy. You grabbed a hold of something that was sacred. You grabbed a hold of something that, and tell your neighbor, God ain't, with you. God ain't playing with you. Don't play with God. God is, I know that's bad English. I said, boy, he said ain't. So, all you educators, I, I know the proper English, but you get it. God's not playing. And he says, if you get to that point in your life where you don't want to trust the word, you're not going to trust the word, he said, then I'll give you over to yourself. And I don't know if you've ever read in the scripture it says apart from God, you can do nothing. Well, I'm on the high road right now. Watch how quickly you fall without God. There have been people who have had a lots of resources, folks, And then to declare it, well, I don't need God. You decided that you didn't need God. And God says, well, if you don't need me, then I'll step out of the way. How many times did Noah cry out to people, we need God, we need God's wisdom, we need God's get in, get in, get in. How many times have you heard me say the church, the church in 2022, in the years forward, is equivalent to Noah's ark? What are we saying to you? It's going to rain. It's about to rain. How many of you, when you know it's about to rain, what do you try to do, generally? You try to find shelter. You try to find, if you're smart, you try to find shelter. You know, I don't want to make little of this, and and I'm not trying to be in any way um, mockery, but just the other day, in Lafayette Square, right across from the White House. People that did not, were unable to find shelter, and the lightning struck. Two immediately, two, a, a husband and a wife in their 70s from Wisconsin immediately dead. The third person, less than 24 hours, also dead. And that's where I said, you know, you have to seek proper shelter. Going up under a tree is not the answer. Hiding up under a rock is not the answer. Hiding in your house. It's not the answer. God's got a place for us. And God's calling his people to that place. God's got a presence. And in his presence, he said, there's a fullness of joy. These are the last days. And we can't just be going about all willy-nilly. I'm doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. No, I would say to you and suggest to you very strongly... Let's do it God's way. Look at Jesus when he was under the greatest pressure point in his life, and he said, wow, this is a bitter cup. These are difficult times. But he made a decision. I'm going to do my Father's will. Have you made a decision? If you've made a decision for Christ, I want you to stand. Uh, Everyone, if you've made a decision for Jesus Christ, even you at home, if you've made a decision, but if you haven't made a decision for Christ, I am simply saying to you, this is the time to decide. We're living in the last days. This is the time to decide. And I pray that you would choose Jesus. I pray that you won't choose the world. I pray that you won't choose things, materialism, over ministry. I, choose, I pray that you won't choose recreation over rejoicing in the Lord. I pray that you will not choose your will, just like Jesus says, Father, not my will, but what? Your will. Difficult, yes. What he was facing, difficult. What the devil was trying to get him to do, deceptive. But he made a decision. And you know what I'm asking you at home? Because everybody that's in this sanctuary is standing, which they say or saying to me, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'm saying to you at home who are watching this stream, I pray that you'll decide if you haven't. I pray that you will be so influential in your life that you will help somebody who is in what the Bible calls the valley of indecision to make a decision for Christ and to never forget it. And I love what Jesus was saying that night at communion with his disciples. Even to Judas, he said to him, I'm laying my life down for you. And I'm asking you to lay your life down for me. But I, it's got to be your choice. And that's why he said to Judas, go do what you feel you have to do. I don't know about you, but I feel I've, I've got to follow Jesus. My grandmother would sing a song every now and then. She says, I believe I'll run on because I want to see what the end is going to be. I I believe that I've read enough of this word now that I know what the end is going to be. Those who follow Jesus will have eternity. Those who choose to go their own way, you're likely to get left behind when he comes. Seven years you will have to endure. Doesn't mean that you've missed it totally, but seven years you won't be able to laugh at the preacher no more. You won't be able to pick at the church anymore. You're going to have to just have to find Jesus. Because he still can be found. One thing I like about the fact that I read about the rapture the Spirit of God will not have left the earth. He is going to be here, but it's going to be much harder. It's going to be much more difficult. You are literally going to likely have to be underground as a church. Or as a believer, because it's going to be hard, because there will be this, the mindset that anybody that calls on Jesus, how many of you know even now it's difficult, difficult to go into a place where people do not want you to say the name Jesus, every other religion, people are okay with you saying, they don't mind if I say Buddha, they don't mind if, if I call on some other God. But if I call on the name of Jesus and I declare that the name of Jesus is exclusive, I am ostracized. I am criticized. I am told that I am not politically correct. I am trying to be political. I would suggest to you in these last days, don't try to be political. Get right with God. And I believe that we should run on and see what the end is going to be. And Jesus said, what you have to do to help you to get to the end is remember. Just remember how good God is. Remember how great God is. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what he's brought you out. Remember what he's brought you through. Remember from whence you've come. This is why I want to teach on Jewish holidays in the this in time, because I believe that the church lost it along the way. I believe that we are supposed to have been able to recognize. My, right now, I don't believe I could get too many people to tell me what the Jewish holidays are. We replaced them. We replaced them with things that are more close to paganism than Christianity. I mean, many of the feasts were designed to keep us in remembrance. Jesus instituted something very sacred. Everyone sit down for just a moment. Ushers, are you ready? He instituted this, and they called it, we call it communion. He says, I want you to come in union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I want you to come in knowing that the only way to come in is through Jesus. I want you to do this, and as often as you do this, you will show that you remember the goodness and the greatness of God. But he also said, I want you not to take it with a sense of casualty. Don't be casual about it. He said, first of all, make sure you examine yourself. I love how Paul would say to people, he said, and I please God. Did you please God this week? Did you live a life that pleased God? Did you speak words that glorified God? Did you have thoughts that you knew were the thoughts of God and you kept them near and dear to your heart? Did you think about the great commission that God has commissioned you to take this gospel, and were you proactive in taking the gospel as far and as fast as possible. And if you haven't, if what I'm saying, if you say, well, I missed that, I missed that, then repent. Everyone, close your eyes for just a moment and allow yourself to look at you. Look at you. God doesn't want me to, to see you. He wants you to see you. Here's how David said it when he was looking at himself. He says, If there is any sin in me, Lord, lead me to the way that is everlasting. And that's really all that I'm trying to get you to do is when you look at you, is there any sin in you? If there is, then repent. And then ask the Lord, personal, this is very personal, you ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me for any thoughts, any deeds, any omission or commission of sin. God, forgive me. And then the Bible says, God's faithful. God's just, and he will forgive you. And then he wants you to come boldly before the throne of grace. You remember when we were reading about the woman who was, tears were just rolling down her face, and those tears she was using to wipe the feet of Jesus with her hair? He says that she had a multitude of sin, but look at what God was saying about her. She's been forgiven. That's all God wants you to know, is once you come to him, you're forgiven. Your sins, he remembers no more. But he wants you to stay in that place of being washed, cleansed, repentive, never giving any place to the devil. And so he instituted these sacraments that we call communion. And he used them to remind us of a great sacrifice that has been made on behalf of mankind. We like to express it in these ways. We say to humanity all of us that sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's no person in here better than anybody else. God loved every one of us. God sacrificed for every one of us. He gave his life, his body, so that he could have this body, the body of Christ. You and I are the body of Christ now. He let all of the sin of the world come on his body. Why? Because we had a debt. The debt that all of us owed, the wages of our sin was demanding death. Jesus was insistent that we have life and that we have it more abundantly. So he said, I will take the penalty. So you had a debt, I had a debt, we had a debt that we could not pay. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. Have you ever had somebody just bless you like that? They went and just paid the cost and paid the, 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 the invoice because you couldn't, but they did. Your invoice was too big, too great, but Jesus paid it all. And so, Father, we want to thank you for the bread that represents your body that was sacrificed so that our bodies to be now presented as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. We take this bread in remembrance, Father, because you told us to. You don't want us to forget. You don't want us to turn back and go back and, 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 and be, as it were, shipwrecked in our faith. You want us to continue to walk by faith and not by sight every day of our life. So we take the bread with thanksgiving In Jesus' name. Everyone take the bread together. The cup. In the same manner they said that Jesus took that cup and he said. This cup represents my blood. Which was shed for the remission of your sin. Every time that there was any sin. There had to be the shedding of blood. And Adam and Eve, first in the garden, sinned. you remember what had to be done? A sacrifice had to be made in order to clothe them, in order to protect them from the exposure that they had in their life now because of sin. And Jesus said, we were all exposed to the devil at the time, but now he has covered us. And he says, now you overcome, you overcome by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And so we thank you, Father, that the blood of the lamb, the lamb of God who took away the sins of this world, took away my sins. And I do this in remembrance of him and knowing that I am his and he is mine. And his banner over me is always going to be love. His banner over us is always love. And we love you, Lord God. And we take this now, this cup, in remembrance of you. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Was the best thing I've ever ever done In his arms I feel protected In his arms never disconnected In his arms feel protected there's no place I'd rather rather be stand with us sing it again falling in love with, with Jesus join us falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever, ever done. You know, they said that when they went out that day after receiving communion, they went out with a song. That's why it's so appropriate every time you do communion, go out with a song. Go out with the joy of the Lord in your heart. Go out knowing that God loves you and Let him know you love him. How do you let him know that you love him? Same thing that he posed before Peter. Peter, do you really love me? Then go, feed my sheep. Peter, do you really, really love me? Go feed my lambs. We know we're talking about adults and we're talking about children. Peter, if you really love me, your focus is to go feed somebody. Tell your neighbor that ain't Popeye's chicken go feed somebody with the good news and the bread of life, which is the word of God. We love you. We thank God for you. Looking forward for the days ahead. Ladies, don't forget that this Leap Conference is something that you need to leap into. Men, don't forget that on August 20, I need your support and help so that we can intercede and pray with our county. Amen? You were blessed coming in. You are also now blessed going out in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you. Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message.